fell asleep in church. Oh, what a day to be alive. What a day to be listening to the Second Pot Podcast. We are so thankful that you chose to. We are just here attacking and caffeinating our way through the day. I am Caleb Spiker here with... Serena Wolf. And we are glad you chose to listen. We, uh, we appreciate you. If you have a good time with us today listening, be a friend, tell a friend. If Spread you don't, the word. If Spread you, the love. Yeah. And if you don't like it for some reason, pretend like it never happened. Unsubscribe. No, don't unsubscribe. We'll be better next time. But, <laughs> yeah, that, you know. That's true. Yeah. You ready? I'm always ready. All right. So, Pastor Caleb, you delivered a great sermon again yesterday. Um, but I love the sacraments. So, mm. yesterday you looked at, um, you know, the baptism of Jesus and then the Last Supper. And it was really good, I thought. I really enjoyed it. I I appreciate the sacraments as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thinking about that, what do you have for us to talk about today? So one of the things that I saw for, I don't know, I say the first time, but it really kind of stuck out to me this week in preparation, is as we're looking at the Lucan account of Jesus' baptism, um, John the Baptist, he is baptizing for the forgiveness of sins in the Jordan, and people from all different walks of life come to John the Baptist, and they say, what do we need to do to be forgiven of our sins? And you know, so the first group, it just says kind of the people mm-hmm. say, what do we need to do? And he says, you know, repent. Actually, let's let's bring it up. So I, I, right. I'm not just uh, I'm not just remembering it as best as I can. We both are grabbing our phones. Here. Actually, um, that was Luke. So chapter, Luke chapter three. Yep. Um, so I believe it's in. Uh, so the in verse seven, John calls them the offspring of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He doesn't call them offspring of vipers. Well, in the NRSV, at least. It's a brood of vipers. He says, you brood of vipers. Yeah. Well, brood, offspring, it's the same. Whatever. Uh, So anyway, so uh, in verse 10, the crowds were asking him, what should we do? How do we repent? How are we saved? And John answered them, the person who has two tunics must share with the person who has none. The person who has food must do likewise. So generally, what does it look like to repent and be saved? It is to embrace generosity. Stop storing up things and take care of your neighbor. I mean, this is this is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Generosity is, anyway, mm-hmm. just my two cents. Yeah, Um so I mean, there's there's this sense, you know, from the very beginning, um, that when we talk about repentance, you know, I mean, and really, and Luke probably has in mind as he's writing this, the uh, rich young ruler who asks mm. the same question, mm-hmm. and Jesus gives him the same answer. And he goes away sad, right? So this is 
this is very much trending in that direction. Like, yeah. stop loving wealth. Stop loving the security that you think you have with wealth and start loving one another kind of thing. Yeah. So then uh, John the Baptist does something really interesting, and Luke records it in a way that's interesting. So next, it's tax collectors came to be baptized. And, like, tax collectors were scum. Like, by, by the very virtue of being tax collectors, they were scum. Well, they were seen as scum. I mean, they were collecting taxes that was funding the Roman army that was that was oppressing the people there in Judea. Like mm-hmm. at very best they were traitorous. Okay. Nincompoops. Okay. By the way, I love the way the the verse reads. It doesn't say just the tax collectors came to be baptized. It said even the tax collectors <laughs> came to be baptized. Like this is so scandalous, yeah. but it but it is. So so the tax collectors come to be baptized, and they ask, "What should we do?" And I would assume, if I was just a run of the mill Judean standing there, that John the Baptist is going to say what I want him to say, which is stop collecting taxes for Rome. Mm-hmm. Right. If you want to be part of the people again, if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven, then stop funding the oppressors. Yeah. But John doesn't say that. He says, collect no more than you are required to. Yeah. Collect no more than you're required to. So it's not stop doing this thing that is seen as terrible. Stop doing this thing that that we believe is inherently oppressive. Yeah. It's do your job with integrity. Yep. Which is wild. Wild. Yeah. I mean, and going further. There are soldiers there who wish to be baptized. Now, it could be like temple guard, or it could be legionnaires, right? Like this is like it's not it's not real clear. Um, But you know, if it's legionnaires, this is kind of scandalous, right? It's like, yeah, like what are they doing here? Like get them out of here. They are outsiders of outsiders. We don't want them being here. Is it is it in Luke where the the Roman guard or soldier standing at the cross declares Jesus the Son of God? Could be. Okay. Just curious. I don't remember. I don't either. I get my gospels kind of mixed up. Um so some soldiers come to John the Baptist, ask him, what, what about us? What should we do? And instead of saying, you know, go home, stop oppressing us, mm-hmm. you know, um, he says, do not take money from anyone by violence or false accusation. Be content with your pay. So again, it's do your job virtuously. Do your job with integrity. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and it's interesting the way that as a culture, we tend to ascribe nobility to certain professions mm-hmm. and, you know, ignobility to others, right? So um, this past week, uh, my middle kid graduated from preschool. And as part of the preschool graduation ceremony, they had every kid come up and say what they want to do when they grow up. You know, so a little girl came up and said, I want to be a preschool teacher. And everyone went, oh, and clapped <laughs> because, you know, that's great, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we ascribe certain nobility Absolutely. to, you know, having the guts to go into a classroom full of preschoolers and, you know, try to teach them the alphabet and shapes and numbers and that sort of thing. You know, another kid, I want to be a firefighter. And everyone cheers because, you know, firefighters, they, they had the, like the very occupation carries with it a, a degree of nobility in our culture. Um, and then my kid got up. He said, I want to be a professional wrestler. Yes. And everybody <laughs> laughed. <love> Sam. <laughs> and everybody laughed. Right, because because there's no nobility in professional wrestling. It's they were in the presence of potential greatness, and they laughed. That is sorry. Well, and here's here's part of why it's funny is that Sam is like the scrawniest five year old you've ever <laughs> yeah, seen. Yeah, right? he's like, he's a pretty little guy. He, uh, and the funny thing is, he has never watched professional wrestling. What? Ever, right? Like, How is he your child and never watched professional wrestling? Have you ever heard him say he wanted to do that before? No. So so we oh. so on Netflix there is a show called The Big Show Show. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, the other day we watched a couple episodes and that was enough for him to be like, Oh yeah, I want to be a professional wrestler. The big show show. I'll have to The Big that. Show Show. Yeah. yeah. Um It's it's funny though, because like I mean, first off, professional wrestlers are athletes. Like, they are very athletic. And they're entertainers. Mm-hmm. Like, every, come on, everybody's got to know this stuff is fake. But it's also dangerous to some degree. Like, you mess up that choreography, no bueno. But, you know, if he had said, I want to be, you know, an action film actor, like, people probably would have been excited for him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, people's reaction to you know Sam saying he wants to be a professional wrestler is a little bit immaterial for you know the 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 conversation right. we're having but, right but now. I'm, but but you know, like an actor, right? Like these are the same. I mean, they're essentially the same. But when he said, "I want to be a professional wrestler," except the difference is that an actor gets lots of takes to get it right. That's right. Not a professional wrestler. Well, I guess not if you're on stage. Yeah, but most, but but that's not usually action. Like I'm thinking, like yeah. you know, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger or yeah. um, Chris Evans. Or, Evans? Did I? Yeah. I mean, like any of like any of the Chris's, right? Like they all do the same thing. No, no, no. My favorite right now is Tom Holland. That boy does his own stunts. He's kind of incredible. Okay. Anyway, so like like we we don't want to go here. So 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 the the this big sort of question of um, 
nobility in mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, it's fascinating the way as a culture we tend to ascribe nobility to certain professions. Yeah. Right? So Cindy is in a noble profession as a nurse. Saving lives, baby. But the thing is, you talk to any nurse, they can tell you all about people who are in their profession, and they may even say they're one of them, who aren't very noble. Mm -hmm. Right? People who, you know, they they don't, um, you, you can't really depend on them. They don't work that hard. They aren't that that good at caring for the family, right? Like, just being in the profession doesn't necessitate nobility. You know, the profession we are in, um, maybe less so in 2021, but, you know, you go back 30 years and it was considered a highly noble profession. Yeah. But we can look around and we see all sorts of our colleagues that we're like, man, that is that is one lazy cat, right? Like there is not much nobility to their ministry. Yeah. Well, but nobility like has two definitions. And I just looked it up to make sure I was correct, right? Like there's nobility as in you belong to a class that is seen as noble, right? Mm-hmm. So nursing, you know, so so it's tied to the profession, not the person. But then people can be noble as well. I mean, you can be an, a nurse in a noble profession who isn't the best person in the world, maybe doesn't have great ethics or um, passion for what you do. Um, but Or you can be, I'm so thankful for, a trash collector and be a super noble person, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I guess in my head, um, yeah, we'd like to see people of good character and outstanding ethics take these jobs, but that doesn't always happen that way. Well, and I think the point John the Baptist wants to make and what we need to latch on to here is that if we want to be... Um, if we want to work for God, right? If we want to, if we want our lives to be, you know, in line with the kingdom, that doesn't require us changing profession so much as it requires us doing what we're doing in a way that is informed by the the kingdom, the way that's informed by the Christian life, in a way that's informed by generosity and virtue. Well, I agree with you to a point. I think there are some professions that by their nature um, could put uh, could, could put your relationship with God at risk. So, um, I think more so than being a tax collector or a soldier in the first century. Um, there are some jobs out there that you can't do without 
actively dishonoring God or breaking the Ten Commandments. For example, sex workers. Now, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes, but I don't think he was thrilled. Now, in, and granted, like, I don't know that prostitution was a voluntary uh, thing in the time of Jesus. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, I'm not sure it's a voluntary thing now. Well, <laughs> I think for some women it is, but I think, you know, human trafficking is huge. I mean, I, I think uh, Julia Roberts has given us a false impression of what... Uh, what prostitution looks like in America. Well, I don't think she does initially. She's, you know, living with a druggie. She's, you know, just trying to make ends meet. You know, like, I don't think they painted a great picture of her life at the beginning of Pretty Woman. But yes, Pretty Woman then goes on and romanticizes uh, a very... It's weird. weird. Yeah. Weird. Um, but, you know... Um, I would think that somebody who performs executions for the state, I'm not sure that you can do that in a God-honoring way. Like, I think that there are some things. Granted, you know, John talked to soldiers who also would have acted as executioners for the state. Mm -hmm. Um. But I think that there are some professions or lines of work that you can't necessarily do in a God-honoring way. Um, but I also think, like, this is very individual, aside from sex work. I don't, I don't think there's a way to engage in sex work that aligns with faith. Um, but, you know, my, my initial career in higher education... Um, working with students day in and day out who were either losing their financial aid because of their performance or their family had lost income and were coming to us for more money and, you know, a lot of times we could not give them that. Um, working day in and day out with that population, I had to turn off my empathy or my... Um, I know, you're you, laughing you, at you, empathy. You, your compassion pump? I did. I had to turn <laughs> off my compassion because when I started the job, you know, every sad story that came across my desk just broke my heart. And you can't, I can't be brokenhearted all the time. So I became very hard-hearted. And it became clear that I had to leave that job because I was not, like it was not helping me be the person God created me to be. Um, that job can be done by somebody else. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But for me personally, it was a bad match with my faith. Mm. Um, so yeah, but I do love that, you know, the tax collectors, right? Like traders, sinners, the prostitutes, like these are the people Jesus hung out with. Of course, John told them that there was hope. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I had never really thought about this part of, of that passage until you pointed it out yesterday, which or Sunday. Today is Tuesday, June 1st. So Sunday, May 30th. Um, 
I really appreciated that. I thought that was great. Well, and I think it's, you know, when we are talking about, um, you know, helping our kids realize their dreams Hmm. or whatever, (laughs) right? Like, you know, figuring out what you're good at, what you enjoy, um, that, you know, instead of being hyper-focused on, you know, doing, doing work that is thought of as noble, it's what do, what do you do to develop the inner person Mm -hmm. so that no matter what you're doing, you are doing it with nobility. Um, Whether you are a professor or a lawyer or a plumber or you raise a little flock of chickens to sell eggs at a farmer's market, right? Like you can do any of these things with integrity. You can do any of these things in a way that is honoring to God. Um, So, you know, if you find yourself coming up on your senior year of high school and you're just done with formal education, like that doesn't mean that you're, that there's something wrong with you. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. like you can, you know, go <laughs> work at a hardware store with integrity yep. and be, um, be a person of the kingdom while you're, you know, helping people load two by fours into their truck. Right. Yep. Like, um, yeah, which is, um, I mean, for me, raising my daughters, like I am more concerned about who they are than what they do. And I want them to do things that they love, and I want them to do things that contribute to society. Um, but, you know, that's not entirely within anyone's control. Not entirely. And the reality is now, like, people switch careers, and there are going to be careers when they're young adults that don't even exist right now. I was just talking about this yep. with a friend yesterday um, because her husband, um, I can't remember what he started out in, but he became, uh, he went into UX, user experience, right? That wasn't, he was my age. That wasn't a thing when I was in college. Nope. Um, so, yeah, I... And not only that, but defining ourselves by what it is we do is really a trap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because your job will not last forever. Nope. Rocked my world when I had to leave OU. Well, and, and I think that, and not just culture at large, but even culture within the church, we like to highlight these people who have a little impact on a wide group. Mm. Um, you know, we celebrate those who are surrounded by a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we step back and look at what actually moves the needle, it's major investment in a small group of people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I think about, I 
I probably learned more about pastoral care the summer I worked at the golf course than in, you know, and I've had a incredible stable of mentors, mm-hmm. um, you know, pastors who are great at a great number of things. But when I think about where I learned how to do pastoral care and, you know, what has shaped me, it's more, um, you know, the summer I spent with Dave at the golf course than, you know, any of the time I've spent with, you know, other pastors doing that sort of thing. What um, what was your position at the golf course? Were you a caddy? No, I oh. was, I was, uh, I had to get there at 6 a.m. and empty the trash and uh, set the tea boxes and occasionally uh, if someone called in sick I'd got to I'd get to mow a little rough or mm-hmm. you know rake some bunkers but I was I was low on the totem pole yeah you like those positions though things like that I mean yeah we totally should be celebrating that um, I think the behind the scenes people are so like those those roles are so undervalued even in the church right like nobody thinks about the audio or video until it goes bad Mm. and then there's you know i can't hear and and hearing is important right like i'm not i'm not saying i'm not trying to mock people who point out that there are errors um but you know when things go well during a service nobody stops by the av desk and thanks the people there Mm mm-hmm yeah, uh, my dad and I were so Joe West. He's a major league baseball umpire. Thanks for who clarifying. just set the record for most games umpired. Ooh. No, that is not something to ooh. That's something to go oh. <laughs> because he's been bad for the last fifteen years. Oh. And everyone like mm. like in, in in my dad and I were talking about this, and we mm. said, you know, we only know the names of referees and umpires who aren't very good mm-hmm. right like the 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 best umpire in major league baseball nobody knows their name mm-hmm. nobody knows their name because there's no reason to be like oh there goes cowboy joe missing another call throwing somebody out because he got in his feelings mm-hmm. right like it doesn't happen you know oh here comes tv teddy valentine making the basketball game about him again great Right, like, um, uh, yeah. I mean, there are there are certain roles that you are only memorable if you stink at them. <laughs> yeah, which is, but I mean, like, I think people who fill those roles understand that, right? Like, for an umpire. Oh, I don't think he does, right? I well, think I, I think mean, he loves people guy, knowing who he is. This guy, yeah. maybe, but like a good umpire, like they're just there to make sure the game goes well, to make sure the teams are honest. Um, you know, yeah. that that's, and yeah, like I, um, you know, when, when I started working in the church, um, my second position was in administration and church administration is not glamorous. You know this. Nope. Um, and I always told the people I worked with, like, we are not here to be recognized. 
know that if nobody knows who's doing this work, that is success. Like, <laughs> like if nobody knew that Serena was doing, doing the weekly programs, bulletins, we called them updates at Central, uh, that was a good thing, right? Um, yeah. And I kind of love being able to do things anonymously, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, this is why I like second chair. I, I don't, I don't need to be up on the platform. I'm not sure that's healthy for me. Uh, for some people, that's great. You know, they can do that and not have an ego. I think you do a really good job of that. Like you, yeah, there's no ego in this room, I don't think. Oh. Then I have you well tricked. Well, good. Uh, but but seriously, like I I love doing my work and not being noticed. And I mean, I think that's healthy. Um, and until you until I admit to my anxiety and fear of success, I mean, it can go. It can, <laughs> it can become unhealthy. But yeah, I mean, there's yeah we. Uh, and this might be something that we should uh, tackle in, in a future week. You know, this, you know, how do we uh, proactively, and I think we kind of talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about, you know, moral failure. And, um, but, you know, how do you proactively not let success or failure get, get to you? Right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, both can be deadly. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, strung together failure can burn you out real, real fast. Yep. And strung together success can put you in a spot where you are you are lined up to do something stupid. Um, so yeah, yeah, we may have to talk about that in a bit. But I am I'm starting to drag. I think we should have some some energy drink. Excellent. Excellent. Let's do that. All right. Well, Caleb, you brought in the, uh, the energy drink today. So tell the listeners what we've got here. Yeah. So, um, we've had some really good orange flavored ones the last few weeks, starting with C4, moving on to the Mountain Dew Rise, just delicious. So, Today, we are trying Orange Dreamsicle by Rain. Um, Rain has been a, a big sponsor of uh, Professional Strongman during the pandemic, which is pretty exciting. You know, they were a sponsor of Half Thor Bjornsson's uh, 501 deadlift. Yeah. Um, you know, you see them in a lot of uh, the paid advertisements with, uh, you know, all those meatheads. Um, so good on rain for, um, during the pandemic, especially making sure that, uh, big burly people have opportunities to compete and have their, uh, caffeine, their B vitamins, their electrolytes. Now, is this the one? Okay. So before you wanted to try the rain orange dreamsicle, it happened Mm -hmm. to be my week to pick up drinks they didn't have orange dream sickle in the store I was at, so I think I picked up a different flavor of. Yeah, rain. we did like a watermelon. 
And I okay. remember it being okay. I mean, was was that the one that gave me the tingles? No, you got okay, the good. tingles from uh, C4, I think. Okay. I think the C4 is the one that had the beta alanine in it. Yeah, that may be. But uh, uh, I don't see any beta alanine here, so you're good. probably okay. That's I'm I'm good without that. That was just weird. All right. Well, let's try this. Let's do it. Oh, man. It smells like my childhood. Oh, I'm excited. Oh. Now it's got that creamy Orange thing going, vanilla. doesn't it? vanilla. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's so good. That is so delicious. What do you think? Yeah, it tastes more cream soda-y than orangey, which I didn't anticipate, but I don't mind. Well, I mean, it is orange dreamsicle. Yeah, I didn't really think about the dreamsicle. Oh. I thought they were just being... No, it's really good. Being nostalgic. It's so good. I'm kind of upset because I should not drink all of this today. Yeah, you'll be okay. No, 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 I won't. No, I won't. I, uh, I mean, you need to recover from your, uh, your bout this morning, mm. right? I, I don't know that one needs to recover from a two-mile run when your pace is like 14 minutes a mile. Because I, okay, so, um, so... So, Serena, don't take this the wrong way, but if your pace was 14 minutes a mile, I don't think it qualifies as running. Okay, so... Let me let me keep explaining <laughs> here. All right. So, uh, you know, I'm not in the best shape of my life. Um, and so you build up to running, right? Okay. So I um, am signing up for a 10-mile run on September 26th. It'll be here in Columbus. It's called the Big Bad Wolf Run, and wolf is with an E. Mm. So my dear friend Jennifer and I are going to run that, and we're using RunKeeper to like encourage each other and track. So I'm using RunKeeper's uh, 5K training, right? I'm going to start there. So this is the first run of the 5K training. So you walk three minutes, and you run a minute, and you walk three minutes, mm. and you run a minute, right? So I use the word So you run were flying loosely. during your uh, running section. I was trying to move. You don't sprint. But yeah. I was moving quickly enough that I would not be able to hold a conversation. Good for you. So, yeah. I think this will be a, uh, a, a weekly update as we drink our energy drinks on, on how your running adventures are going. Excellent. That, that <clears throat> provides me some accountability, lowers the, the failure likelihood. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm still putting at 75%. 75% I mean, after well, today, okay. right? All right. Yeah, but it's 117 days until race day, so. But who's counting? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. We've invited a girlfriend uh, from Athens who hasn't committed yet but might, and my daughter, Maya, is looking at running, so, yeah. Cool. The run's on a Sunday, which really mm. I don't like. It's a bummer. Yeah. This is why, like, I won't be running in races often because a lot of them are on Sundays now. And that's just ridiculous. So um, I have a buddy who he and his wife uh, run races at Disney. Oh, oh, and oh. 
I'm so, oh, that's so exciting. So the, um, like the Disney Marathon Week, they have a race like every day that week. So they have like a 5K on Wednesday, a 10K on Thursday, a mm-hmm. uh, half marathon Friday, like a 15K Saturday, and then a marathon Sunday. Yep. And if you run all five of them, there's... Yeah, you get a... I think it's a Goofy medal. Yeah. It's like the... Have they run all five of them? Yeah. <gasps> That's insane! That's insane. So they're at Disney yep. World, and they're they're just running. They're not really going to Disney World, because after those runs, you probably well, just go back to your resort and crash. So... So they have, they have like quit jobs that they can't do remotely so they could move to Orlando and live at Disney. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. I mean, you know, everyone does what makes them happy and that's what makes them happy. When I hit retirement age, um, and Tyler hits retirement age, while I don't like the heat and the humidity in Florida, like you go outside and your glasses immediately steam up and you can't breathe for a full like three minutes. Only if you leave the air conditioning on inside. Well, that would that would be my plan. Um, but I would love <laughs> to go to Florida and uh, work for Walt Disney World when I am older. I think that, uh, man, it would just make me so happy. When I retire, I'm going to be a docent at the zoo. Awesome. You're going to be, wait, a what? A docent. It's the retired cat who stands around and tells the little kids about animals. Oh, oh, that would be great. You know, they have those at Disney's Animal Kingdom, too. Yeah, I have no interest in living in Florida. I don't really either. See, here's the thing, Serena. Central Ohio is the most perfect location on the planet. I, uh, mm, it's close. We have four distinct seasons Mm -hmm. that people pay thousands of dollars to get this weather other places. Our spring. It's beautiful. A lot like weather in Scotland where people pay thousands Mm -hmm. of dollars to go and play golf courses there. Mm -hmm. Our summer is like spring in Florida. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's like when people want to be in Florida is what our summer's like. Mm. Our fall is oh, the single greatest season like anywhere ever. Yeah. Right? I would like, definitely miss fall. Like we have uh, moderate temperatures. The air is crisp. We have... Um, great high school and college football. Like fall is where it's at here. And I mean, and you know, we would be lying if we didn't say that winter's a little gloomy here, right? Sky's a little little gray. We don't typically have enough snow to keep it bright. Yeah. But, you know, it builds character. Or, Or we do have enough snow and it stays on the ground for 28 days. If it's 2020 into 21, yes. And our winter is not as bad as other states. Uh, My husband, you know, he's an engineer for Motorola Solutions. So he works regionally. um, And several of his colleagues are in Minnesota. 
and keep asking him when he's going to move there. No, we're, we're not. We're not moving to Minnesota. Zero desire. I'm sure St. Paul is beautiful. No desire to go. Way too gloomy. So Russo, Minnesota is Hockey Town, USA. Mm. Town of 10,000 people. They have three rinks. And there for ah. a while, like a fifth of all NHL players were coming out of Russo, Minnesota. Wow. Russo, Minnesota, its average temperature for the year is 37 degrees. Yeah. Average. I'm not surprised. For a 365-day year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, good grief. Like, you have to think, there are some cold, 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 cold days in January. Yep. That balance out, you know, the 80-degree days in August. Does that, it get that warm there? Oh, sure it does. Yeah. I mean, it's Probably not, it's not in the Arctic. We get three inches of snow. No, I, I know. It's, I know. it's pretty much like in line uh, latitudinally with Toronto and... You know, Toronto has 90-degree days that the Blue yeah. Jays play in, right? So, Chicago is the furthest north I ever want to live. I, It is my favorite city. I love Chicago. I could deal. City on the lake. Lots of art. If you want an art-filled city on the lake, Cleveland's the way to go. I, I dig Cleveland. I mean, my brother lives in Cleveland. Cleveland is really an underrated city. Yeah. I mean, Ohio itself is is underrated, I think. It's true. We have. Everything. We do. We have two of the best amusement parks in the United States. Actually, in North America. One of the best in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So the other point. one really isn't world class, but, but it's, it's, it's good for here. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's now true. owned by Cedar Fairs. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to take. Because uh, we are taking Trinity students to mm. Kings Island mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say that um, when we go, we figure out how to podcast live from, you know, mm. I don't know that we want a live podcast, uh, but we figure out how to podcast from Kings Island and uh, review an energy drink before we get in the cars and drive those little boogers over to the world of roller coaster. You know, that might be. The thing you do be like, hey guys, we need you to be quiet in the car as we podcast. Oh, and then it becomes Ooh. a gentle, easy, yeah. Mm. <gasps> Great idea. I'm full of them. All right. So I'm going to say this rain orange dreamsicle. I'm going to give it a eight point five. Mm. I just don't like cream soda as much as I like orange pop. And this, this, like, this isn't a great cream soda. Like, it's okay. For what it is, it's good. But, like, I mean, part of it's just I was anticipating, you know, just just a regular old orange soda. But, I mean, for what it is, it's good. Like, I enjoy it. I'm having fun. Like, cream. So, so when I drink carbonated beverages, mm-hmm. I generally like them thin and cream soda tends to drink a little too thick for what I what I want in a carbonated beverage Mm -hmm. um okay so here are my pros zero sugar 
10 calories per can. Um, there is a lot of caffeine, a lot of vitamin B. Um, I think this flavor is delicious. I don't know that I like it as much as the rise. Gosh, that was good. It was so good. But like, okay, so at this point, my first pick among all the energy drinks we've had would be the Mountain Dew Rise orange flavor. This Delicious. is just below that mm. because you're right. It, it, it is a little, there's something about it that's a little thicker. Um, and it's, it's almost too sweet, but not quite. But I love Orange Dream Sickle. I love going to Dairy Queen and having a little vanilla cone dipped in orange. It's delicious. Mm. One of my favorite flavors. Yeah. A uh, orange soda float. Nothing like it. So good. Hmm. Never thought of doing that. What do you think orange dreamsicle is, my dude? It's those those uh, popsicles that have the orange yeah. popsicle with like the yeah. weird white fluff in the middle. That That's supposed to be ice cream. Oh. But I mean, you oh. get the same effect from putting a couple of scoops of vanilla into a glass filled with orange crush. I could see that. Or, <gasps> or Mountain Dew Rise. Okay. Well, this was great. Thanks for, thanks for picking this up. Hey, Serena, do we have any questions? Yeah. <laughs> you know we do. You know we do because before we report the record the podcast, I look to see if we have any questions. All right. Shh, nobody wants to know how the sausage is made. Just <laughs> everyone needs to know how the sausage is made, Caleb. I overshare for a living. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, yeah, um, we have an email uh, from someone asking for a friend, and here is what they say. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 in the ESV, the English Standard Version, reads, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable is defined as not being able to be changed, reversed, or recovered. Final. And asking for a friend says, What does one do if one does not want or like the gift or calling that God has blessed one with? That gift or calling is irrevocable. I think this is a great question. I like this, especially in light of what mm -hmm. we just talked about. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing we need to be clear on is that um, calling typically as Christians is affirmed by the community, right? So we can have a sense of what God may be leading us into. We may have like conviction to do something in the moment, but as far as like big time vocational sort of calling, that is something we discern in community. Well, okay. So define calling as you're using it right now. So the thing that becomes the why in your life. Okay. Right? Like the, 
um, something that becomes an anchor and a centering sort of principle and guidepost in your life. And so it, it sounds... this could be like occupational. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, I think God is calling me to become a contemporary Christian music worship artist. And which case, guess what? If the community doesn't say, yeah, your music helps me grow closer to God, then you're probably not being called to that. Yeah. Right? Um, or, you know, I'm called to be a youth pastor. You know, the community will either affirm that call or will say, uh, you may want to listen some more. Um, now, this is different than, you know, the conviction, like you are getting off on the overpass, someone is staying there with a cardboard sign, and you, you know, say, oh, I need to be of service to them. And you scramble and grab a granola bar and a beef stick and a bottle of Diet Dew and you yeah. know, hand it to them as you drive off, right? Like these are, these are, and I think part of it is is the time frame, right? So convictions are, here's a need. Mm-hmm. I feel convicted to be part of the solution to this need. Go. Whereas calling is like, hey, this is going to take some training. This is going to take some thought. This is going to take a big commitment of time and energy and emotion. And, you know, so, I mean, this could be, vocational this could be um like i feel called to adopt a child Uh right like that is not a decision you make you know in the moment like this is something where you know you get with your small group and be like hey i think we're being called to adopt a child and your small group can be like oh that's a great idea or no like that's a horrible idea why Mm -hmm. would you ever think that you're called to that like yeah you do not have the temperament. <laughs> well, and for the adoption process, like there's a larger community, right? Like mm-hmm. you can you can be denied the ability to adopt. Yeah. Okay. And I ask you to clarify calling because, you know, so often um, <clears throat> in the Christian world, like we look at calling as, you know, when you say vocation, you know, like we look at calling as something you do in or for or on behalf of the church. Um, yeah. So here's my take on it. First off, I looked at Romans eleven twenty nine before we started the podcast. And the first thing I want to note is that um, this verse in context is referring to the covenant that God has made with Israel. So... Uh, the Apostle Paul here is talking about um, God's faithfulness, essentially, right? Um, and the fact that this covenant has been made with Israel, and this is not, this is irrevocable. God's not going to go back mm-hmm. and deny the people that he gathered. Um But then if you want to pull that out and look at applying it, um, first off, I'm not I'm not sure that you can, because um, I think that God can give us gifts. I mean, there there are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, 
we some are gifted to be teachers and apostles and you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that gifting may be for a time or a specific place. It it's not necessarily a lifelong calling or a, a lifelong gifting, right? Um, and there are some gifts that you exercise supernaturally that if you stop, you, you can choose to not exercise, exercise those them. gifts. Yeah. And eventually, will God revoke those? Well, I don't know. But what good is the gift if you aren't using it? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a, a few different things going on here, right? So we have kind of the the way we are wired, mm-hmm. right, might be one way to think about this, right? So when I think about the apest model, this apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, mm-hmm. like this is more about the way a person is wired than, you know, you are gifted to be a prophet. You are gifted to be mm-hmm. an evangelist. It's more like the way you see the world is in this sort of archetype. Mm-hmm. But then we have, you know, spiritual gifting, right? Like the gift of prophecy is different than the archetypal wiring of prophet, right? Mm-hmm. These are two separate things, like similar sounding word, but different things. So the archetypal gift of being, or the archetypal wiring of being a prophet is like, we are like, there are, there is, there is a way that is God honoring and that is the way we are going to go. And we are not going to stray from the left or the right. Let's get back on the train, go back in the direction God's calling us. This yeah. is this is the function of the prophet in the life of the church. But the gift of prophecy is a supernatural word that God is giving to the church through a person to encourage the saints and mm-hmm. invite them into faithfulness or what have you. Um or to warn them. Or right. to warn them, yeah. So, I mean, so these things can work together, but they, um, but I mean, we're talking about separate realities. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I'm sure it's possible for a person to be rewired, and I think part of, um, you know, the neuroplasticity of, of the human mind and the different experiences we have can... Um, make it so that different parts of what's within us manifest themselves um, depending on the season and, and the need of, of the wider community. But for the most part, you know, we are wired the way we're wired. Um, <clears throat> and we can, we can do things to try and uh, grow in areas that are less natural for us, but... Mm-hmm. You know, we aren't going to change that whole bunch. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to be a basketball player. Well, that's a, that's a completely different question entirely, well, but yeah. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> like, I just don't, like, I'm not wired to enjoy sport. Like, this isn't, this isn't something I've ever loved, right? Like, I think that's part of. Well, I, I'd, I'd go, so, like, bringing it to something that's a little less absurd, right? Like. <laughs> Because, Serena, you saying you're never going to be a basketball player and using that as an example is completely absurd. We all know this to be true. 
anyway. I mean, I mean, it's so. So I mean, we're we're talking about examples that are so far outside the realm of possibility that it's hard <laughs> to wrap our heads around, like how they are helpful for us. But so so yeah. when I look at like the apest model for me, right, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, um, for me, apostle and teacher come a lot higher yeah. in the way that I am wired than the other three. Yeah. Right. So do I think evangelism is important? Do I have the capacity for evangelism? Yes. But it is not my first, uh, the first framework that I solve a problem with. Right. You've got to grow into it. Um, you know, so when we think about, um, you know, in, in, in the ones that, are, that kind of counteract each other, um, you know, I'm high apostle and relatively low shepherd. I had no clue. So, you know, part of the way that, that makes its, um, part of the way that, that manifests itself within just the way I see the world is I am not, um, I am not wounded emotionally when someone decides that they don't want to, you know, get on board with the rest of us doing something, mm -hmm. right? Which for someone who has high shepherd wiring, you know, they want every sheep to stay yeah. and every sheep to move together. Yeah. For me, like I'm like, yeah, I would prefer that. But it's like the the mission that God has called us to and the preferred future that um, that in community we have discerned for the church. Like we're going to go there even if some sheep don't want to come along. Yeah. Um. And, and yeah, for shepherds, that's... Yeah, that, that's painful, deeply yes. painful. Incredible. Like, no, we can't go until everyone is is together. And, and I mean, so the shepherd archetype has been so closely tied to pastor. Um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes if you... Because you care, right? No, like, you yeah, don't, it's, no, exactly. We've, yeah. we've had people leave Trinity since I've come, and, and it does. It, it's it yep. hurts it stinks like nobody wants that mm -hmm. but that can't stop moving faithfully forward yeah um i mean ultimately the mission god has called us to and and when we say that like we have to be very clear right it's not because i also score really low on prophecy right like I am, like, my own pastoral identity is not the one to say, here's what God's saying, let's go. It's more to be able to listen to what other people are saying and be like, hey, you know, we have like seven people saying this at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe God is doing something here. Um, and then, you know, where I step in and the way I've been um, both wired and I would argue supernaturally, you know, given a little extra gifting, is in figuring out how we can get there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, so, 
So when, when the community has discerned this is something we need to do, this is the direction we need to go, um, you know, the function that I play in the wider system is to be a big part of figuring out how we get there and then also being like, now we figured out this is where we need to go. This is where we're going. Like some people won't like it, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, it's going to hurt and we won't like it, but um, ultimately faithfulness requires that, that, you know, we go here. I mean, this is the, this is the story of Philip and Acts 8, right? Like, mm-hmm. there is no way he wanted to leave Jerusalem. Right. Like, that revival has broken out. People are coming to faith on a daily basis. Like, it is the epicenter of the movement of God. Mm-hmm. And God says, go. And he says, what? <laughs> no. Like, why would I want to leave here? There's so much good work to do right here. But then he does meets the eunuch at the crossroads and the gospel goes to Ethiopia. Isn't isn't he just um But isn't he just kind of moved away? Okay, no, no. Yeah. Then the angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road." So he got up and went. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that I, I appreciate that. That's a good way to look at gift and um, calling. For me, when I, when I looked at this question too, like the calling on a Christian's life, every Christian, period, is found in our baptismal covenant, right? Like this is the call and that is irrevocable. God's mm-hmm. grace, God's love for you, not something not something you can change. Um, I guess I, and maybe this is because I score um, high, I think I was like teacher and prophet was a close second. But that's also because you have low self-awareness. Well, prophet should have blown teacher look, out, of the, out of the water. Look, okay. Anyway, um, so you talk about conviction and I'm like, I don't need to feel like I need to help somebody. My feeling doesn't matter. Like my, like my calling is to love my neighbor as myself, whether I feel convicted or not. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thankful for conviction because without conviction, I won't necessarily remember that. <laughs> but conviction for me is not, it's not negative, right? Like it doesn't bring guilt, mm. right? Like, there's no guilt here. It's a reminder of what I'm supposed to do. But usually comes when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Um, so, yeah. So I the, that, as far as calling goes, like the, the baptismal covenant, God's grace, God's love for us, this is irrevocable. And that's what this verse is about. Um, now, the question, what does one do if one does not want the gift or calling or like the gift or calling God has blessed one with? Whew. I mean, it depends on if you... It, it depends on if you care about being faithful or not. Right. right? Like, 
you know, we can say no, right? Like, don't necessarily think it's a good idea. Just ask Jonah. Um, but, you know, we can say no. Yeah. Lots of people throughout history have. Yep. Um, and, you know, oftentimes it will lead to a deep sense of emptiness and non-satisfaction. Um, yeah, needless suffering, really. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and this probably goes along with the profit wiring, right? Because I mentioned um, in our discussion that, you know, my job at financial aid was getting in the way of me being who I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are a lot, like, that isn't the only thing, right? Like, I just struggled. It was constantly busy. There were constant interruptions. I had no control over my calendar. Like, looking back and, um, l- like, it's no, it's not surprising to me that I did not thrive in that environment. Like, that's not the environment for me. Um, but, you know, the emotional impact of that job was just killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I had to leave. But then when I, and I think I've said this on the podcast, if I have, you can just like skip forward a minute. If I haven't, <laughs> you can listen. If I haven't, you've forgotten, you can listen. Um, so I felt a calling to vocational ministry um, the first time I served communion. It was on Good Friday at Central. And like I can close my eyes and picture this so clearly. I'm standing on this spot on the floor. I'm giving people, um, I can't remember if I had the bread or the juice. It doesn't matter. Um, But like over, I think I had the bread because over and over, every person coming, the body of Christ broken for you, the body of, and this, and it started to become overwhelming. I'm like, oh my gosh, the body of Christ broken for you. Um, And as I'm doing this, God, (laughs) like I clearly, this is not me. I'm, I was not a super loving person at the time. I'm still not super, super loving. I'm getting better. Anyway, um, like I hear this, this thought in my head that says, if this is how much I love people, this is how much you have to love people too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nope, nope, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, thank you. And like, I knew in that moment that like I was being called into ministry mm. So I didn't like it because I had been an administrator and I saw, I had seen the underbelly, right? I'd seen how wounded a pastor can be. Um, I, I wanted to have nothing to do with this. No, thank you, God. So um, I told absolutely no one. I went home. I took out a journal. I wrote down my experience and I prayed daily. I marked my calendar for six weeks daily. God, this is not what I want to do. You need to take this back. God, I'm a woman. I'm not supposed to be a pastor. Like I was dealing Mm -hmm. with that too, right? Um, And I told God, I'm like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to you about this every day for six weeks. And when we're done, if you haven't changed your mind, I guess I'll talk to somebody and they'll (laughs) tell me I'm right. <laughs> That's not how that worked out. I got to this the sixth week and I still like couldn't shake the feeling. Uh like every time I prayed, God's like, Don't forget Jonah. Don't forget Jonah. 
hey, when Moses said no, I was not happy with him. Like, ugh. And then the craziest thing happened. I told um, our, so Paul, our senior pastor, was on sabbatical. So I went to our associate pastor, Jim. And I, I'm like, Jim, this is what happens. And, you know, like I start telling the story and I start crying a little. I'm like, I think. I think God's telling me I'm supposed to be a pastor, but I can't be a pastor. That's crazy. And he's like, this is great. I'm like, no. And then my community affirmed me. Like mm-hmm. one of the people in my SPRC told our, our DS, our district super, no. No, not the DS. I can't remember who, the chair of DCOM, that's who it was. Like, because the question that they ask the people in front of you is, would you be willing to have Serena as your pastor? And the first person that said yes, I about fell off my seat. Because I was like, there's no way they're going to tell this person yes. And I, like, that's ridiculous. It's still stupid. It's crazy. I should not be in this job. Anyway. Yeah. So, funny story about the local church meeting with the district committee on ministry. So, the local church I grew up in, Marysville, um, had a long run of pastors who struggled. Mm. Um, and and I don't think it was, you know, the, the longer I'm at this, the less I think, you know, that they had, like, deep problems, each of them. But just that it was, like, Marysville is a complicated church with lots of competing interests and it's hard to balance those things out Um, like you need to have really a a great deal of political skill to be successful in marysville Um, so they've had this long run of pastors who couldn't get it done Um, and i was the first candidate in probably 35 years wow to go before decom Wow. Um, so we go there with with the local church meeting. Um, and typically, these are very positive, affirming sort of things. But not my local church, right? Like, they Aww. had, they, no, 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 it's, it's okay, don't all, it's okay. fine. Like, um, you know, they had experienced, you know, the better part of 25 years, pastors who had struggled yeah. for one reason or another. So they grilled me like they roasted mm-hmm. me like it was like it was it was like I don't say it was contentious like it was still cordial like they were still loving but it was very much like can you actually do this mm. right like we've had a bunch of people who couldn't do it at a church like this like can you do this um, you know and and hard questions um, and you know the point the point of the meeting came where I was supposed to leave and then uh, Roger Grace who's lives here in Grove City goes to Purple Door um, but he was on the district committee at the time um, you know he had the rest of the conversation with me out of the room um, he came back he said well Caleb they unanimously there they unanimously uh, you know affirm your call and they said I gotta tell you this was the like hardest, most like I've never seen a local church go this hard at somebody and then unanimously affirm them. Wow. <laughs> but 
that like But here's that? the thing, that's what should happen. Right. Right? Like like it is it is the local church's responsibility to discern the call of their own. Yeah. Um, like we shouldn't leave that up to the district committee or the board of Warriors ministry. Like, yeah. like it should be the rare occurrence that someone gets to that point before, you know, the wider body discerns, oh man, this isn't a good fit. Yeah. Um, and, and it will happen, right? Because there are local churches that are just terribly dysfunctional and broken and will, um, you know, we'll be like, oh, yeah, we don't see any problem with them because, you know, yeah. they have the same dysfunction and brokenness that we do that, you know, is why we've been, you know, dying here. But um, but it's amazing to me because, like, knowing you in the capacity that I do, like, that experience sounds like exactly what Caleb Spiker would have needed, right? Because you are a thinker, and so being challenged like that was probably really good for you. Maybe. Well, and I think it was good for the church. Yeah. Right? Like, um, like there was, you know, 25 years of pent-up frustration mm. with, you know, the conference sending them pastors that hadn't worked. I mean, so the from the time I was born till I graduated high school, we had seven senior pastors. Wow. Right. Okay, so, so uh, once about every two and a quarter year or so, huh? Yeah. Wow. And, and this isn't this isn't you know a small country church that gets a student no. pastor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like this is the sort of church that the expectation is you know twelve fifteen years. Yep. You know, established sort of people who've done it other places and know what they're doing. Yeah. And you know, it had just been. I mean, like there were you know former DSs that went to Marysville and then floundered and and washed out right like it was um so yeah i mean there was there was a a long built up um sort of frustration that i got to endure the bulk of which i was happy to right like it was a um you know the the people who've gone through after me my impression is that their experience was not like mine which is perfectly fine i I don't you know hold that against them or against the church because i mean i think like i said the way mine went is the way it should go Mm -hmm. like it should be like the greatest scrutiny should come from the local church who's seen the who's who's been with the person as they've they've heard their call and grown into it and developed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but here's the thing, right? Like, okay. So first off, uh, Paul Reisler, I've mentioned him before, dear friend, lead pastor at central, uh, when I got my call to ministry, um, just an outstanding mentor, like man, that is a gifting of his. He is so good at encouragement but it also lovingly calling you out, right? Like, it doesn't feel like a beat up. It feels more like a, like, for me at least, it was like, oh man, I disappointed you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, anyway, I think if Central had done to me what Marysville had done to you though, I would have been like, yeah, you're right. I am not, I am not good for this. I'm not good for this. I'm good. I'll step out now. You know, like, um, so I think, yes, churches need to be careful in in who they approve. Um, but also, 
you know, I think God knows and works through the community to affirm the person in a way that is an encouragement. Yeah. Well, and I think part of, um, part of my own sort of pastoral identity that was, you know, that, that kind of came into be as part of that is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, I'm okay with people not liking me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm okay with being the bad guy. Um, you know, like at the time I never could have like put those two things together. Right. Like, but you know, like there are, there are times when, um, when as the community has discerned, this is the direction we need to go. It's not going to be universally popular mm-hmm. and, someone needs to take the slings and arrows yep and i'm fine with that being me right like i i just you know like and i mean don't get me wrong i mean i'd i'd love it if every time we you know made a decision as a community that everyone was on board and you know we were all you know just one big circle holding hands and you know cheering it together but you know, that's, that's not reality. Yeah. Community is messy. And like, it's a gift that there are other churches that, you know, there are some churches where a person will fit better than others. Now, is this the way it's supposed to be? Probably not. But, you know, if, if, if somebody, um, I don't know. I can't think of an example. But if somebody strongly disagrees with the mission of Trinity and the way the leadership runs the church and, you know, what we do, um, great. Like, there are going, there's going to be a place where they f- find what it is they're looking for and where they fit. Um, so, yeah. And I love, like, I love that. Um, both Paul and then uh, the other pastor I worked under and you all have that like, you know what, if if you don't feel comfortable here, if something here is not going well for you, um, okay, let's let let me help you find another place. Like that's not. Well, I mean, wh- what's what's the point, right? right? Like like the the goal. The goal of the church is to make disciples. Mm hmm. Um, not to, you know, retain everyone. Yep. Um, now, I mean, I think the, the danger in coming to that realization is that there are some people who are like, well, I don't care what anyone thinks. Um, because that's pretty darn dangerous. Yeah. Um, but you know. If, if, if the community has discerned who its leadership should be, if the leadership has discerned where God is, you know, calling the church into the next season, um, it is okay if there are people who just don't want to go there. Yeah. Who want something else. Yep. Um, because the reality is there's another church 
that could use the gifts they have, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, that's that's a hard, I think uh, that's really hard when your butt is in the pew to know, right? Like mm-hmm. that was really, I really wanted to stay at my Baptist church. I wanted to stay with the people that I knew and loved and the people who loved me when I was little. Um, but once I started uncovering the tra- the great tradition and uh, yeah, like I knew it wasn't, I couldn't stay and that hurt, but it was okay. It was better for me and better for the Baptist church too. And I love, like we see this in scripture, right? Like Paul talks to the church about, you know, some of you are saying you follow Paul and some of you are saying you follow, I can't remember. Apollos. Thank you. Um, and Paul wasn't hurt by this, right? He's like, but what is Paul? What is Apollos? One of us water, one of us plant? Like, yep. right? Like there's the recognition that, I, I don't know. I can't, I, anyway, I think that's a beautiful picture of it, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't get hung up on these things. Okay, so we got off track a little bit with the calling question. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> um, in short, uh, asking for a friend, thank you for sending in your question. Um, the love and grace of God and his covenant with his people is irrevocable. And in context, that is what that verse is saying. But even out of context, um, you know, sometimes God calls you to do something that is going to be hard and you don't like it. Um, but if your community, well, I mean, Moses's community sure didn't agree at first, but Moses <laughs> knew he had been called, right? Um, so, yeah, it, so we should make a caveat, right? Like, uh, if a bush is burning but not consumed and tells you to do something, you may not need uh, the immediate yeah. affirmation of your community. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like the prophets, nobody, nobody wanted to be a prophet. Prophets get killed. Um, you know, Elijah was scared for his life. Like God calls some people to do things they don't want to do. Um, but you know what? Like we are the instruments through which God has chosen to work in this world. And that's crazy. Um, and you can trust if God calls you to do something that you're not sure you want to do or you don't like that God will empower you to do it. And then yeah. you can sit back and be like, that's crazy, God. Like, well, and I think, I think having, um, having the community is huge. Yeah. Right. Um, cause one of the things I recognize about myself is that my wiring towards prophecy is really low. Right. Um, my and this is this is where like i know i need to have prophetic people around me um or i'm going to solve problems in a way that work in a way in ways that work but are not necessarily ethical Um, so, I mean, so, that is the danger of pure pragmatism. So here's the thing. I am, uh, I am a child of uh, Central Ohio, and um, like other 
children of Central Ohio, namely uh, Curtis LeMay. I don't know who that is. Oh, Serena, you're missing out. So Curtis LeMay, he was uh, the architect of um, the bombing of Japan during World War II. Oh, okay. Um, like, he he contributed to the deaths of mm. um, more civilians than anyone else, like, single-handedly in, in North America, right? Mm. Um, you know, like, you look at 20th century, you know, killers of civilians, you know, you have... Hitler's way up there, Stalin's way up there, Mao's way up there, and you know Pol Pot's way up there. Like there, there are these like tyrants that everyone knows their names. Yeah. And then there's this Curtis LeMay. It's like what? <laughs> Who's that? Um. And it's, and and here's here's the thing about Curtis LeMay, right? He was, he was willing to be the bad guy, to bring about the end of the war. And in the long run, he probably saved five million Japanese lives by the million that he took to end the war when the war ended. I mean, this is this is what Japanese war historians say. They're like, you know, mm -hmm. Curtis LeMay saved Japan mm. by killing millions of like a, a million Japanese civilians. Because if if our back had not been broken, we would have kept fighting. Yeah. We were out of food. We were out of resources. We have had mass starvation that winter. The way it worked, like we uh, we surrendered and foreign aid came in immediately and we didn't have mass starvation and death yeah. because of, um, you know, where we were in the war effort. But, you know, they firebombed Tokyo, right? Like... <laughs> They yeah. they dropped uh, atomic weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, it was like it is incomprehensible. Like in a vacuum, we look at at the strategy of Curtis LeMay to end the war with Japan, and we say this is incomprehensible evil. But he's looking at the big picture, and he's like, this thing has to end. Yeah. For all of us, this thing has to end. So he was willing to be the bad guy to do this thing that's just incomprehensibly bad that turned out having a net positive benefit. Um, yeah, that's so hard. Yeah. I mean, it's and, – and, and for you as a prophet, you're like, I don't even care. Like, that's horrible. Like, you can't be the – Well, the <laughs> it's – no, I mean, so here's the thing, right? Like, I understand it, but it breaks my heart. Like, it mm -hmm. almost makes me want to cry. Um, oh, it's it's tragic. Yeah. But – because, you know, I, I mean, I am for the greater good, right? Because I think God is for the greater good. But, yeah. Um like to do something i uh, yeah it just breaks my heart but i'm i'm not a fan of war in general so you know no yeah yeah anyway but yeah so so here's here, here's here's where it got dark uh, yeah but i mean so you know on a on a much less 
uh, on a scale of much less human suffering, right? You know, in in sort of the way that I am wired and shaped and gifted to help solve problems for the kingdom. I need prophets around me or I am going to to submit solutions that may or may not be ethical. Hmm. Because, you know, for me, the first question is, will something work? You know, if it works, like if we have multiple things that will work, we can look at them all and say, now, which is the most ethical? And we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. But an ethical solution that doesn't work, I'm not interested in. Right? Like, I, I want maximum uh, efficacy in what works. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah. You know, yeah. Th- and this is, this is where, you know, doing ministry together, and part of the reasons why I like having you around, Serena, is, you know, I am far less likely to <laughs> be able to ram through a, uh, a solution of questionable ethicalness. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm, unfortunately, like... You are an ethics stick in the mud. Well, I well that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, so, like, working on this self-concept thing, right? Like, um, so I identify, like, my core values, right? Um, and I value wisdom. And I value uh, courage, right? That's, yeah, that's the profit wiring. Because the first thing I'll ask is not, does that work? The first thing I think of, is this the right thing to do? Yeah. But yeah, because sometimes the right thing to do isn't, can't, like, it's not that it can't be done, but that it takes a lot of work, right? That's okay. Well, and you may do all that work and it doesn't work anyway. Well. Like, that's, yeah. Well, you know, I trust that God has grace in that situation. And I, you know, I don't really like ethics. I don't like the hard ethics because I don't want to have to make choices like that. Yeah. yeah, if you build the bomb, Caleb, I'll be right beside you going, sackcloth and ashes for you, man. Sackcloth <laughs> and ashes. This might bring the greater good, but do not be happy about this. This is not an accomplishment. Well, and so, like... You know, this 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 will be a, a nice little way to end uh, today, right? Is is a church split ethical? Mm. Like, is it the best thing for the United Methodist Church to split? Mm-hmm. Does it make God happy that the United Methodist Church is splitting? In my mind, we can't afford not to split. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out whether it's okay or not <laughs> when we're on the backside. Because, you know, the way we, like, we are on the Titanic. We are headed straight for an iceberg. We are fighting over the wheel. Do we turn port? Do we turn starboard? Do we turn port? Do we turn starboard? Mm-hmm. I don't care at this point. Let's not hit the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Like the people who want to turn one way or the other, or like we need all the people who want to turn one way to get on lifeboats and go. 
so that those who remain can turn the boat and miss the iceberg. Yeah. Now, would it be better perhaps to figure out how to all agree on turning one way or the other? Sure. But there is no historical reason for us to think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. for, I mean, we say, oh, since 1972. No, 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 not since 1972. Since, like, the turn of the century. Right. Like, this is a 100-year-old, 150-year-old problem. Like, uh, you know, going back to uh, what's-his-name in your uh, yeah. in your Methodist history. Adam Clark. Yeah, Clark. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, this is the the problems we have with pluralism are not new problems. Like the problem is not, you know, the sexuality question post 1972. Right. The problem is whether or not we are going to be Nicene and Chalcedonian and Christian Mm -hmm. or whether we are going to accept a wide degree of theological pluralism. Yeah. Like, this is not something that we are going to solve before we ram into the iceberg and destroy everything. Yeah. So, we need to send some off in the lifeboats, let everyone else turn the boat. I mean, the way it looks right now is that, you know, those who are going to be, you know, affirmers of Nicaea and Chalcedon are getting in the lifeboats and going. Those who want the big tent of theological pluralism are going to stay and turn the ship. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you know, would it be better if we all just figured out a way to agree to be Christians? Yes. Of course. But I don't think that's going to happen. Right. And in the meantime, I don't want to be on the boat when it hits the iceberg. Right. I mean, there, there was a lack of a prophet in the room with Adam Clark. Right. Yeah. Like that was shepherding and somebody needed to care for him, but somebody also needed to say, you can't continue to teach. You cannot continue to lead. You can't. um, Yeah. And, and I'm like, I think that the, that the United Methodist church splitting, uh, does that make God happy? I don't think so. Is it something we should be joyous about? Absolutely not. Like this is painful. And it's a new church being birthed out of that pain, which we're going to have to contend with. Um, But we can't stay faithful to God and be in connection with people who use tarot cards for devotions, people who charge to have a worship experience at at an annual conference. We can't, we we can't be in, we, we, incarnation matters. The Trinity matters. Like, you can't deny these things. The resurrection the, really matters. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But y- yeah, you can't, like, we can't be faithful if there are leaders among us who don't agree with that. Like, you can't have a faithful people. You can't. And so the prophet in me says, sackcloth and ashes for all of us. And if you can't affirm the Nicene Creed, without crossing your fingers get the hell out of my pulpit i don't i mean like so, so literally get hell out of my pulpit so, so i i can't remember where he wrote this uh but stanley Hauerwas, he was one of the big defenders of pacifism in the wesleyan tradition uh, in the 20th century 
I can't remember where he wrote this, but he said, uh, if someone breaks into my house and threatens my family, I will kill them. Mm-hmm. And I will be sinning in the process. Mm-hmm. And I think there is, like, there is, there is a wide range of learning from that, right? Like, there are... Um, you know, there are times when when we just have to rely on the grace of God. Yep. Where, um, you know, to uh, I'm I'm rewatching the uh, the Clone Wars on Disney oh, Plus right now. So much fun. And in uh, in season six, there's a section where where the Jedi Council realizes that that Sidious and Dooku created both the clone army and the droid army and that it's essentially the same person who's running both sides and mm-hmm. they're like what mm-hmm. do we even do here right like we can't tell people that 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 this is a fake war mm-hmm. like like that's going to just destroy the republic overnight um and uh mace windu asks yoda you know so yoda says hey you know we we can't do this we we have to like like we've been outplayed, like we we have to cover this up. We have to keep it quiet. Like we'll figure out what we're gonna do, but we have to keep it quiet. And Mace Window says, "Is that right, Yoda?" And uh, and Yoda says, "Right or wrong, I know not, mm-hmm. but only option this is." Yeah. Um, and there's just you know like there are times when, um when we only have one choice yep and you know and sometimes that one choice is going to be the right choice and sometimes it won't be yep um and this is where we just have to depend on god's grace being sufficient yep which sucks right it'd be a lot better just be like oh yeah i can always do what is right and you know and again this is not um I think there are very few times in our lives when there isn't an ethical decision to be made yeah. where, where we can't do what is, you know, more right than wrong. Right. Um, but there are times where the only thing you can do is what you must do. And I think that, you know, the prophetic voice says it's time to mourn that and then realign ourselves towards faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And that is exactly, I think, what will happen to the United Methodist Church, and it makes me sad. Um, but yeah, you can't you you can't have um, people who are not Christians leading a Christian church. Like this does not make God happy either. This is not faithfulness. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so I think that we covered asking for a friend's question. Yep. Hopefully. Um, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. All over the place. Heck yeah. That's what we do best. All right. Anything else for the good of the order today? I got nothing. Okay. I don't have anything else either. Seriously. So this will be coming out, uh, while you and I are participating in annual conference. Um, so yeah. Lord have mercy. Yeah. If, uh, have mercy, Lord have mercy. If, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, when it comes out, 
uh, Pastor Sri and I are at West Ohio Annual Conference. Well, it's online, so we're probably just in our basements, you know. No, I plan to be in the city of God, uh, watching with some friends who will mourn as well. If you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> pray for us. You know, there there are there are some pieces of legislation that have the potential to bring about ugly, contentious debate. Um, and like we've said, you know, the church is in the midst of splitting, and like, there's no point in being mean to each other, especially at this point. On either side. Um, yeah. There's I mean, no point like, being mean. Um, you know, so so be be praying that we can be gracious with one another. Um, you know, that there are some solutions that that show themselves which uh, give us the opportunity to be kind and gracious with each other in in what will possibly be you know, our last mm. real annual conference experience. Um, so, I, I mean, we'll have last. one next year, uh, but my hope is that next year we just kind of, you know, throw a big party for each other and say, hey. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I think, like, I think we have. To, like, wouldn't it be great to have a funeral and, like, celebrate the work that God has done and, and will continue to do through his people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, God is still going to be with the United Methodist Church. There are still going to be faithful people. I'm not saying there won't be. Um, yeah, it would be great to celebrate and then go our separate ways. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, we'll see. We don't live in a, we live in a fallen world. And yeah, yeah. But anyway, so we've gotten very dark again. So <laughs> listeners, Pray for us and for our annual conference, the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, stay caffeinated. Stay in love with Jesus. And we will catch you next time. Put a second pot on. We're going to learn what's going on.